0: How much should you be paid for video work? We at No Film School are wondering, and we want to help you find out. The way we're going to do this is with our new annual cinematographer survey. All you have to do is click the link in the description of this podcast. It'll take you to nofilmschool.com forward slash money dash survey, where you will be able to find the survey, the post all about it, what we're going to do with this information, how we're going to use it to help you, and how entering your information in the survey gives you a chance to win a b gift card. And we're giving away a bunch from $50 to $250. So again, we're going to help you figure out how much money you should be charging by crowdsourcing this data and information. We're going to report it back to everybody who reads No Film School and visits No Film School on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, and listens to this podcast. And by entering the survey, you get a chance to win a gift card at E and H. So what are you waiting for? Take the survey. A lot of us got excited about entertainment and careers in entertainment because we love feature films and wanted to become feature filmmakers. But in the last couple decades, television has had its own sort of new golden age, mostly in streaming and cable. But a lot of these shows have completely redefined what our ideas of television are. I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. And today on the No Film School podcast, I'm interviewing Dan Attias. Dan recently wrote a book that came out last year, Directing Great Television, Inside TV's New Golden Age. And Dan has directed a ton of the great television. Let's just go through a few of the titles. Uh, Recently, Penny Dreadful, Billions, Homeland, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Boys, The Americans, Get Shorty, The Show. Masters of Sex, True Detective, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, True Blood, Walking Dead, House, Entourage, Big Love, Grey's Anatomy, The Wire, Friday Night Lights, Six Feet Under, Alias, I Could Go On, Party of Five, Early Edition, (laughs) Northern Exposure, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Beverly Hills, 90210. Okay, I'll stop because, oh, Deadwood, did I mention that? That's like one of my personal favorites. Look, here's the thing. This guy's directed a lot of TV, a lot of the great TV, a lot of the greatest shows of the era that have defined slash, like I said before, redefined what television is and has made it a medium that is for a different kind of craft and art in this time when feature films often are limited in what they can do based on theatrical model and budgets et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So many of these things that we cover all the time on the, the way the industry is changing on our weekly No Film School podcast. But today, Dan is just talking about directing TV. It is a thing that's kind of unique in terms of directing. We actually have a great post that I'll direct people to. Haha, no pun intended. A guide to TV directing or how to succeed as the least important person on set. A guest author wrote it for us, a television director who has done a lot of stuff Obviously not at the level of Dan. Dan is really in a very special class. But look, if you're out there and you're thinking about ways to work in the industry and you're thinking about being a director, you want to understand what it is that makes a television director successful. Dan breaks it down in the book, but really in this interview. I had a lot of fun talking to him. He gets into the, the weeds on his ver- how he steps into one of these shows, how he makes a mark but how he doesn't upset the boat, how he works with all the powers that be on a show like the ones he directs. So anyway, here we go. Dan Attias. Thank you for being here. You have you know, one of the most prolific television directing careers of anybody I've spoken to on this podcast. So there is so much we could talk about. Um, and I guess, you know, where I'd like to start is really what got you started in directing or interested in directing? What was the sort of germ of, of interest in it? What sort of became the beginning, you know, that got you started down this road?
1: Yeah, I'd say, funnily enough, self-exploration was was one thing. And then also that I was a, just a big fan of stories and storytelling and and the the visual medium films i mean when i you know i was a big fan of the independent cinema in the 60s and 70s uh loved going to movies didn't particularly start out to want to direct television i wanted to become a you know feature film director and as i say in my book it's like you know I, i regarded my early television work as just kind of a placeholder until i could get that next feature but what got me interested in directing specifically was I graduated college. I was a, you know English major' gotten accepted to law school. Nothing was really felt exciting to me. And as a kind of way to kind of just, I don't know, become more playful in my general approach to life, I started taking acting workshops and I really mm-hmm. became enamored of that. For about three years, I was studying to be an actor. I thought that's really what I wanted to do. But it was a lot of work uh, <laughs> internally to kind of reconfigure my uh, my emotions to kind of fit the... I always was very good at it at analytically, at, know, at knowing what I thought a story was about and what a part w- really required of me. But it was very difficult for me to rest my insides around to, to meet the demands of the part. And it, as it happens, I wound up in a I was in film school, funnily enough, on this program titled No Film School, but I, I was in a critical studies program as I was trying to be an actor, and I had a requirement to make a film, uh, kind of just to see what it's like, and then it was a big epiphany because I, I saw that, A, my skills really were suited to it. I was very excited about being able to communicate in such an intimate way and, and to really control the narrative, literally, and it just became a way of... Uh, it just became, it was such an exhilarating experience to me to communicate at such a deep level with people that what, what was ex- exhilarating to me about directing was it was such a intimate way to communicate and I could communicate, I could monitor how a particular image or images put together would create a sensation or a reaction or an emotion within me. And that I, I had to really uh, get Uh, as sensitized to what was happening within me in order to know how it was likely to affect the audience. Hmm. And then I could create, create something that was my internal experience and that could be made permanent, so to speak, in a, you know, in a cut of a film. Uh, It was so exhilarating to me to be able to communicate how I saw something. And I could rely on the fact that others would likely see it the way I saw it or understand it or come to the same emotional uh, experience. I was I was having myself in, in assembling the piece that was just deeply exhilarating. It was a kind of way to communicate in a way I had never experienced to, be, to communicate my my internal experience, and it was that became very exciting. And then to be able to fold that into drama and storytelling and narrative, which is very important to me, and I think very important to all of us because I think. We all define ourselves by narrative, by the stories we tell up to ourselves, what we take ourselves to be, who we take ourselves to be. And stories, to me, have always been an exciting way to deepen and enrich and alter stories that may be unsatisfying, with, you know, that we live our lives in acting. Yes. So that's, that's, what, that's what's really exciting to me about this whole field.
0: I, I love the way you put that. I often think like we are, you know, the writer, director, editor, star of our own unending narrative that we keep editing and changing and sanding off the edges on and adjusting.
1: And, right. And we're so much of the time unconscious of the fact that it's a creation of art, that it's yes. not reality. Right. And, we think it's and, real. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that you know, one of the things I, I, I point to in my, in my book is that it's very important as filmmakers, editors, actors, even to become as familiar as we can with our stories, because unless we, unless we are familiar with them, it's a couple of things. One, it, 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 if we may be superimposing an unconscious story, we're acting out onto material. That's not, doesn't want to go in that direction. That's, Mm. that's something that's very significant, but also, it enables us to explore ourselves and explore our stories in an imaginative way that you know if we're if we're aware of what's being activated or or you know elicited within us ourselves can be we can we can further the storytelling we can we can we can know our curiosity can guide us in in ways that can be very very compelling
0: yeah and you know i i, I i'm sure that that self knowledge is part of what propels you or has propelled you through so many different kinds of important stories of this time, like when you. So when you got into directing TV, you said it was something of a placeholder, perhaps, but you know, in the last couple decades, you've directed through what people call the golden age, really, of te- a modern golden age of television, mm-hmm. um, and directed the great shows and the great characters, like from Sopranos through, you know, everything. The wire, you know, all of it. Just to name a couple. What are the through lines, if any, you find as you step in and out of these worlds and have to take the the reins of these stories?
1: Yeah. You know, well, what are the- yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you know, I try to approach each story, each show as its own entity, as its own living thing. And and so that one of the interesting challenges of the series director who, you know, goes from show to show is you know, I, I have to one has in that role has to has to fully immerse in the sensibility and the uniqueness of each show. I mean, some of them may not feel very unique from each other, but the good ones, you know, are <laughs> are, are you know, the product of an imagination that is dealing and a vision and, and it's a whole world that, you know, my job is, as a visiting director or coming into these shows is to immerse myself in that material. And that's what's exciting to me because it's like it's a growth opportunity for me. I get to. It's actually, funnily enough, not unlike the impulse of the actor. It's like in the actor, the actor mm. is, you know, get, is given all these imaginary circumstances and say, okay, now find yourself within it or find find uh, what's true in this character. And it's like you have to accept a lot of givens that aren't necessarily true of your own situation. And that's rather similar to when you come into a show. It's like, okay, how does what What is the sensibility of this of this world? how how are things seen visually in this world? How are they experienced? What's the tone? What's the tenor? Who are the characters? So I have to immerse myself in all of those things so that I can I mean, the way I think of it is it's like a language I can learn so I can speak it in my voice. You know, it's not mm. mimicry. You have to get to, so familiar that then you can bring yourself to it and actually discover yourself in it because, you're dealing with entirely new circumstances for yourself new ways of seeing and so what is whatever is essentially yours is what you know you bring so that's if, if there's a through line it's like you know i think any any creative person any it's you it's, yeah <laughs> all you can bring to it is yourself but it's an expanded experience of yourself because you're free going back to story, you're free of the particular story by which you live in the yeah. other circumstances of your life, but what if this were true? And what if yeah. that were true? true? And, and I'm not saying you're every character, I'm not saying that.
0: This episode is
1: brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
0: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. I, I once saw a thing recently and it really connected with me where when we see a good movie or show, we kind of walk out and for a little while we feel like we're that character, we're those characters. Yeah, like yeah. we get replaced in our mind's eye. And yeah. I think that that the way you're talking about it, I've never heard anyone talk about directing television, like being an actor, but you are kind of saying like, it's like when I'm on Deadwood, I get to be Al Swearingen for a little right. while. Right.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Because the only way, I mean, you know, the only way an actor can really act a part is to, I mean, act a part well, is to understand, is to be on the side of that character, how they see things. So it's like, you can't ever, you know, you can't be very effective just playing a bad guy. Right. You know, you know no one, you know, it's like, you have to see how does, what What are the circumstances? What are the character traits? What are the things that make someone act the way this character needs to act in this drama? And, you know, the best drama is conflict between, I mean one way of putting it it's not a perfect way of putting it but good and good it's like two hmm. people who have different understandings that collide. Have uh, you have where is that your statement who's no, that's a good no, one no, that's something that's uh, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. I've read all these books about story <laughs> like where did, where did that uh, one come from? You know I'm not sure exactly where I heard it but I I I it's it's not original to me but it's Well good, I like it. It's good. It's a good way of thinking of things. And and because it's like like in any, anything you act, you have to be on the side of the character you're playing. Yeah. You, know, you have to because, because you can understand to a certain point someone that you don't totally get, but you're not going to be connected to your own deeper impulses and resources that, you know, you have to be fed by an unconscious stream to really do something great, either as an actor or an editor or a director, I believe. You have to call on resources that go beyond our, you know, conscious understanding of things you have to have open to your inner intuitive sense of what wants to happen or what do you see what image comes to you and to be open to those things you have to be on the side of you know the consciousness that's experiencing it another side to all this i would say and it goes to some of the i think the questions you're asking me too is it's like and maybe it's a uh, goes to this question of what's the through line any project i have any script i get I have to find a way to connect to it in a way that I can care about telling the story. Mm-hmm. If I don't care about telling the story. I can't make you or anybody else really care about it. I can do a few things and tricks and oh yeah, maybe you'll be interested. But you know, unless I'm impassioned by I have to tell I really want to tell this story. I'm I'm curious about this story. I'm curious about what intrigues me about it. And then when you find what intrigues you about it, you know, if it's not something that's imp- I have to make it important to me to communicate. What's and to me, it's often what feels to me truthful about human experience. What are what can we, you know, what discovery can I lead the audience to that I have to first make? And maybe I'm even making it in the process of doing it. But I have to be excited by discovery because hmm. that's what you know. That's what the audience is. That's what's going to keep the audience interested, and what's going to keep me interested.
0: Yeah, I. I, I'm sort of shifting gears a little bit, but I'm because I because I'm curious about this how it plays into it. So you are, as a director, of course, a very like important piece of a puzzle, a big puzzle, especially on a television show that's running for a while of the yes. caliber of the, yes. this caliber. Yes. And so for everybody who some people won't understand all the machinations, some of us understand some of them. Uh, but look, you're placed in the middle of a team that includes. Talent that's been in front of the camera playing these characters for a while, uh, or sometimes for the first time. Writers and showrunners, studio executives. <laughs> right. So, like, you come in in the you come in as perhaps the captain of a ship that has like many other captains too. It's such a balancing act. I can only imagine. Can you illuminate some of that part of it for us? Well, like- it
1: is. You, you've identified you know one of the key challenges and particularly in television, because, you know, as opposed to features where, you know, often the director is king in television, series television directing, you're never the king as the director. It's generally the showrunner, the writer who who may tell you, no, the the network or the streaming service is key. But generally it's the writer showrunner whose vision has to be served. So you come into a situation where, you know, you cannot substantially, you cannot go against, you cannot fight that vision and do a good job. You have to find a way to internalize it. But, you know, it's, it's, the exciting thing to me is it's like, I have to take total responsibility for the telling of the story when I'm directing the show. So I absorb, it's again, understanding the vision, understanding the givens, but then I'm not going to be much of a director unless I can bring myself to it. And then I'm going to be adding something that no one else can add. I'm going to be, you know, speaking from my own sense of what's most deeply true or entertaining or, you know, you know, and, that, and, and it's funny. There is this funny sense that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, episode series television directors rarely are credited with, you know, very, very few people even know the names of people who direct series televisions. generally, you know, David Chase's Sopranos or, you know, David Milch, Deadwood, or, you know, sure. And Homeland. And, you know, and there's a lot, I mean, it, it, part of the job and the interesting challenge in the job is your episode has to feel like oh, John Wells is reputed to have said something that I always thought was kind of on point. He was asked what do you tell a director coming onto your show it was West Wing I think at the time he says I tell him you know just make it feel just like an episode of West Wing only better. <laughs> 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 and that's kind of the challenge and it's like the only better part is what you're contributing but few people will even recognize it. So you don't
0: That's an adage I've heard people say, like in general about the industry, which is "give me the same thing, only different." You know, like
1: (laughs) like there's certain like, but there's like I try to list a few of examples in the book of how I think this works. I have a chapter on, in a couple of instances where I couldn't get script changes on a couple. One was on the the Americans, another was on Homeland. But it happens every show I do where I have to interpret. I mean, the thing is, you know, sometimes. People just don't understand what a director does. Uh, it's like, so someone it just film the script. Well, you know, if you film the script, that would be pictures of words on a page. You, ha- you, know, <laughs> you have to interpret it. You have to bring it alive. And there's a thousand things, of decisions. You have. You're the only one as the director who is assessing moment to moment, watching every performance, dealing with every creative decision that people come to you about. How should this look? What should the wardrobe be? What should the props be? It's not to say the showrunner doesn't have input on some of that stuff. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, getting the performance, knowing when you've got it, knowing what shots you need to assemble it in a compelling way for the editor, knowing, you know, it's like it's moment-to-moment monitoring, being part audience yourself as you're as you're creating this show, knowing how it's You know, being both storyteller and audience at the same time, and assessing, okay, you know, what is happening now in the uh, in the viewer, and what can I, what what should be happening now, and why am I not compelled at this moment? What can I do to make it more compelling? Why in this in this take or rehearsal am I interested up to a certain point, but then I kind of flag for you know, fifteen seconds, two exchanges, and I pick up again later. Well, I got to go in and I got to do, I got to dig deeper in those moments and find a. a, a stronger subtext that's going to make that come alive. Director's the only one that's monitoring when you've got it and when, Who, and when you need something. How do you, uh,
0: how do you talk to an actor who's been playing a part? I know there's, in many instances, you've talked to an actor who's new to the part. Because there's guests. No, there's no, also but people.
1: you're you're asking a, a key question. Like, yeah, how do you like, talk to yeah. the
0: guys? Right. Here's a, like one that comes to mind. I mean, we could talk about the people, the genius talents, and the Sopranos and the right. and the right. Wire. But like, how do you talk to the guys on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia who've been doing this routine? I mean, you've directed many episodes. That's a hilarious show. Uh, like, how do you talk to these guys about well, and, every, and girls?
1: Every, Well, first of all, every uh, I mean, there's certain things one learns in terms of how to to help an actor. Get, and that's, again, a performance. And that's that, that's why I feel that my three years acting was the best training I had as a director, because it's not to say camera and everything else isn't terribly important. But to me, if there was one, the most crucial element to me is 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 the performance, is, is that the actors are really embodying what they need to embody, because that's the most critical, but it's not the only one. But how you talk to them, really, there are certain things which I'll try to touch on, but I have to come back to the, the mention, of course, the reality that you're dealing with an individual human being. You're not dealing with actors. You're dealing with Rob McElhaney on, or you're dealing with Charlie Day, or you're dealing with you know Jim Gandolfini. Each each of these human beings, like me and you and everybody else, is unique. So you have to develop a way to connect. And, and that's, that's a a mysterious process that's that, you know, that's, that's, but you have to be open to who that person is in front of you and what's going to affect them. I mean, there are certain things, obvious things like in giving an actor an intention, like giving them imaginary circumstances. If they're playing something differently from how you imagine it be, it, it should be played, you know, then, you know, the approach shouldn't just be do it this way. Don't do that, do this the important thing for me then is, or coming into a series that, you know, like you say, whether it's sunny, Ellie's sunny or Homeland, or the Americans or whatever it is, each show is different, but each, each show is a story. And, and I, you know, I, every creative decision has to, for me, has to serve story. Every performance needs to be shaped and molded in order to tell the story and complement what else is happening in the show. So often my approach is to, uh, Try to acquaint the actor, if, I'm, if, they're, if they're going in a direction other than I think they should be going, is try to acquaint to them to the, to the story moment we're in right now. And what is the story? You know, that's another thing that is so often missed, I think, when people talk about directing or acting or anything, which is the importance of defining what the story is. People think, oh yeah, well, the story, the story is just what's on the page. That's the story. What happens? That's the story. That's not the story. The story is the significance of what happens the story is the meaning of what happens the story is the subtext of what's going on what are the deeper issues that are going on besides boy meets girl boy gets girl or whatever it is right and and you know that's why one love story lands better for an audience than another one one character it's like an actor playing a part you know there's all kinds of ways to play a part authentically naturally yeah. but that's not to say it's going to be compelling so the actor's job and my job as the director in assisting the actor is to fill out what's this, what this character is really about and what their aspirations are and what their worldview is and what their intention is. You know, if it's just dumb and simple, then it's going to come off as dumb and simple. And they're gonna yeah. be, you can say the same thing, but if there's a more interesting subtext, a deeper agenda, a more interesting human being in that character, you're going to listen to it. You're going to hear it differently. So I'm always just trying to kind you're of trying to
0: mine new depths when exactly. you come into these places yeah, because yeah. people have already seen sides of it so you've yeah. got to find something some exactly. new
1: reflection yeah exactly and it's and there's always and every story you have to understand it's unique and treat it as unique and that's, oh well, I'm just doing another episode of that show
0: right, right. then it becomes you're telling a uh, new right
1: story you're telling a story a, a particular it's like gener- generality, generalness is kind of the enemy of creativity too. You got to be specific and dive deep into what are the specifics of this situation.
0: I think that's that's sort of the key though. That approach, I think, is part of the key about what has made this era of episodic so strong. Because I think in the you know in the days you and I remember, and maybe some of our listeners do, <laughs> but that there used to be like, you saw a TV show when it was on, that was it, end of story, you might never see that episode again, and you tune in every week or whatever because there's a familiarity and comfort in it in what it is, and, and everyone is, some, is similar
1: to right. a pretty strong degree. Whereas, and, you, and you get to watch some favorite character bit. Someone yeah, said, do their uh, bit again, like, and if yeah, you missed right, it
0: last right. week, yeah, they do it every week, you know. Whether but like
1: Kojak with his lollipop, or some comedian saying some tagline, or something like that,
0: yeah. right? And I think that 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 what shifted so much in the last few decades was that everybody's watching every episode and rewatch every episode. So right. like you have to you create a through line and you have to keep it moving in a way that's compelling. And I think what you what you've illuminated a little bit here is that if the director if the team if the creative team to each episode really treats it as a new chance to find something different then the audience will continue to stay engaged and be like oh there's more here there's and even I more I here
1: i don't even think of it as something different i assume it's different because it's a new story it's a right. new these characters are in, i mean you know it's, it's you know it's not just oh the same old you know oh i'm having the same old relationship now i <laughs> person it's the same old relationship no it's not it's new it's it's everything is new and there's ways to make it you know to appreciate that you can it's bad habits to just kind of think you know to to confront and acknowledge what you don't know is a huge creative boom and that was a big lesson I had you know that to to be willing not to know because Hmm. that discovery can happen but to really ask yourself what what is interesting or what When I'm not interested in a situation, I have to ask myself, what could make me interested in this? What would make this interesting? What would make this exchange interesting? You know, when it's just simply advancing a story, oh, we just got to understand this thing. Okay, got it.
0: Do you allow yourself, like you mentioned there in passing, do you allow yourself the freedom to see something you've committed to and maybe it's a big show and it's a hit and whatever and you think, "Mm -mm, this this is boring to me. I'm not into this. Like is that a doesn't that
1: it, oh, does that scare oh, you at all or do you try to find that I'm often you know my process is uh, is I mean you know I have a whole chapter in my book on inner states one of the things that's unacknowledged not 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 recognized as often as it should be like I've never read it anywhere but to, to see the emotional roller coaster you go on as the director of an episode because you're dealing with I am anyway as long as I'm doing it, I go through periods of just more, oh my god of, oh my god! I'm never going to solve this. It's going to be terrible. Oh my god! <laughs> it's you know, and then and then you and that motivates me to really keep going. I got to make it, and then the exhilaration and joy when I discover something new in the material. Oh, that's right! That's what's here, and you know, so uh, so yeah. So that
0: that part of it, you do you do give yourself the freedom to
1: dread. Oh, I I don't even. It's not a choice. I mean, it's like, (laughs) I mean, mean, there's a joke in my household, and it's like, and and often, you know, I'll get a script, and I almost always have this uh, oh, God, I got the worst one, you know, because I haven't done the work of, of diving into the material and really finding out what's interesting to me. And sometimes, you know, it's been there all the time and I just didn't really find it. But other times I have to really work for it. I mean, I share. And, and, and yes, there are times even on great shows where you're really disappointed and something just isn't as good as it needs to be. And then I can't just fold. I have to then figure out what can I do. I mean, I, had a, I, I wrote a whole chapter on an episode of Homeland I did. I love the show Homeland. I directed uh, seven of the eight seasons, an episode in each of them. And, you know, I got some great scripts. One was uh, called 13 Days in Islamabad," which is one of their, you know, great, great shows about yeah. the embassy in Pakistan. I mean, that was just, you read that and you think, oh, my God, thank you, God, for giving me the script. And it was just very easy to connect to and get deep into it and just go to town. But then in the seventh season, I had this script that, you know, It was this intense storyline I'd been following for, oh, this script is great. This script is great. This script is great. And suddenly I get a script where everything is like a big time out, and Carrie Madison is spending 20 pages of a 50 page script in a courtroom hearing about (laughs) custody of her child. (laughs) And it's like, you know, we've all seen this play out, you know, ad nauseum in previous seasons. Like, Gee, maybe she's really not a great mother for this two-year-old as she's going off and fighting the world, and and we've always we've seen all of her failings as a parent. And suddenly, there's a custody case, and it's the centerpiece of the episode, and all of the high-stakes drama is put on hold. And I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait a minute, I have to make this compelling, even though nothing in the st- in the trial is is new information." And and worse than that, it's like I read the script and. Carrie doesn't say a thing into her own defense. There's a litany of witnesses who come in and just tell tell the court how bad a parent she is. But describing things everybody has already seen and previously yeah. no new things. She's just had a lobotomy because in the previous episode because she's gone manic, so she's deprived of her usual range of emotions. So and the I talked to the right, I said, okay, how do you think? What do you think is this is really about? And he said, oh well. Well, first of all, they needed to get her free of parenting responsibilities. So you're right. saying you have to serve the show because she's going to go off to Russia and she's going to do other stuff. And they don't want to have to deal with this little girl, Franny. So, <laughs> so they've got to like find out, okay, she's giving up the daughter. But but how that? But I said that's okay, that's fine for the show. But I've got to make the show stand alone as a good episode. It's not like just hey, everybody, time out. You know, we're going to give you some information so you can get interested again next week. No, I have to make it as great an episode as a good that can stand on its own. And they had this idea that what would happen is she since she'd had this lobotomy, she'll be able to hear for the first time these witnesses saying what a bad parent she is, and then she'll just give up the child. Hmm. And I'm thinking, well, okay, but if, if, if we don't feel like she's at least trying to win, what are we following? What are we, I, you know, I, it's like I said, you may as well just score it with a funeral dirge the whole time. It's just going to be 20 minutes of relentless, oh, bad, bad carry, bad carry, bad carry. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, you know, so I'm thinking just in terms of the storytelling, how do I keep the audience interested? How do I keep myself interested? Because I'm not interested in, a, in a, just a pile on against a defenseless person, that doesn't interest me. I don't care about that. That's just, yeah. Bad. so I'm thinking, okay, how can I do this? And I say, I'm talking to the writers and I'm saying, and she says, uh, I said, what's the turning point? And it's like, do, do we, don't we want the audience to think she might win? <laughs> doesn't she have to defend herself? Don't we have to see her trying to win? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. We want her just to hear this stuff and just take it in. <laughs> and by the way, she's got, these aren't, Idiots. These are great writers. These are good writers. Right. You no, know? but as it was, she's just taking it in, and 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 then I said, "Well, what clinches it for her?" Says, "Well, when her sister, who's the adversary, who wants custody, when her sister calls her a hero, that is what really turns her." And hmm. i think, "Well, okay, uh, I don't buy it because she really hates her sister for doing what she's doing, and she's just thinking, you know, it's easy to." you know it to, to to be complimented by someone who's taking from you the thing they want most it's easy to be to say nice things when you're about to get what you want why would you even believe the sister so i'm dealing with all this stuff i asked for some rewrites i can't get them and finally i you know but i because i'm still unhappy with the fact that it wasn't i didn't feel good drama i kept thinking right up to the last night before we filmed this part of the hearing it struck me that okay what Why does she agree when the sister gets up and gives her testimony and calls her a hero? Why would that change her? And I I just couldn't buy it. And then I thought, well, I looked at the particulars of the dialogue of the sister. And this was not anything the writers had told me was really their intention. They they had told me what they thought it was about. And I looked at the the particulars and what what the sister said was, she says, you know, when we were little, I always envied you because you were the big star of the family. And everybody thought you were so smart and, you know, I thought, you know, dad thought you were smarter, but you, you really are, you know, you, you are special. In fact, you're a hero or, and I'm not a hero, but I can take better care of this daughter. Hmm. And I read and it was kind of, yeah, okay. That's an explanation. And it was presented to me as like, well, the, the sister's just trying to humanize it get because they're so, they're so angry at each other. She's just trying to say, let me just tell you, you know, okay. And I thought, okay. that still doesn't really make me think she's going to change. And then I thought, well, what if the, what if this were a story, not just about losing the daughter, but what if it's a story about a rapprochement between two sisters? What if, what, what would it take to make me, if I were in Carrie's position, make me moved enough to make this move? And I started Hmm. to think, well, it's not so much what would be happening within me. It would be maybe what's, Maybe if it's the toughest thing for the sister to do, to get on the stand and say these things, what would make that tough? And then I realized, well, what if she had never admitted to publicly or anywhere else that she envied her sister? And then I started to think, wow, this is an interesting thing to me. What Mm -hmm. if the story could be about the, the sister having to do something that, what if the sister is making as big a sacrifice in some ways as she's asking Carrie to make in relinquishing her child? And the sacrifice, it seemed to me, the material suggested, it would be if she's sacrificing her own self-protective image of herself. If she had mm-hmm. missed something publicly, an ignoble impulse. And so and then I just developed this more and I got I, to the point where I realized, oh, what would be compelling? is if she gets up and is and is and is out of shame admitting yes i have always hated you for being more better than i am and i'm not proud of this and you know but i'm going to admit it here publicly because i want you to know that's not the reason i'm doing this if this ever came to light later that My true motives have been envy of you during life. You would later, in retrospect, hate me even more. You think, oh, that's why you took Franny. And no, it's not that. It's that it's the right thing to do. And the only way I can be clean in asking for this is to admit to you right now, yes, I have envy you. Yes, I have you know, undermined you in ways. But that's not what I'm doing here. I'm admitting it publicly. I'm not a great, I'm not a perfect person. This is a horrible thing that I'm ashamed about, and I'm admitting it to you publicly. So you can see I'm not motivated by that.
0: How um, did you, mani- once you recognize this,
1: yeah. how yeah. did you
0: manifest it within the context as the director of the work? Is it a okay. conversation so with the performers?
1: Did, yes. It's, and it's the kind of thing I can't spring on the actor. The, the, so that night, it was the night before she was going to testify. And I called her up. It was a very good actress named Amy Hargreaves. Who I just happened to have worked with last week on billions again. This was four or five years ago and I said I told her this whole new thing and it was a complete 180 from how she'd been thinking of the character, but she was excited because it gave her real stakes to play. it made the moment real. it made this thing authentic and and the key was it so what it did and so she came in and we couldn't change a line and it was very spare dialogue. yeah he had to inform. That it had to be the most difficult thing she was ever had ever done on that stand. We had to see the pain she had acknowledging this because she was taking herself down a peg. She was admitting yeah. in front of everybody, "Yes, I'm not good enough. I never thought I was good enough." I and was this? And, and
0: what was her appro- was her approach going to be? This is defiance. This is another way I'm winning over my sister. No, the
1: approach was going to be, and this is what I think the intention was in the writing which is a whole other interesting thing, because what they wrote helped guide me to this insight. So at yeah. some level they were aware of it, but it was not conscious. Right. The approach was going to be, I mean, the, the the sister gets on and she she testifies again in this emphatic way she's been the whole time. She says, yes, Carrie did this and it was terrible and I've had to pick up the pieces around this little girl this for, ten, for, for her whole life and she did this and she did this and she did this. And then she just says, can I just have a few, can I just instead of reading a prepared statement, can I just have a second and just talk to my sister? And it's like, it was going to be like, okay, I'm sorry I'm being so mean to you. I, I, I don't hate you. Uh, you know, I, in fact, I really envied you. I, I'm not envied you. I really thought you were, you know, you were the star of our family growing up. I mean- Right, even, okay. So there wasn't there
0: just wasn't pain behind it. It wasn't it, pain behind right, it. And, right. until,
1: and until there was pain behind it, and then I realized, okay, so the key isn't, as the writers told me it was, the key isn't for Carrie that she hears her sister call her a hero. The key is that after she understands her sister is making this real sacrifice to her own experience of herself, that she's in some way submitting to a shame, admitting to a shame she feels publicly. And and it's like, it's, it gives her credibility for the next thing she says after calling Carrie a hero, which is, she says, Carrie, you are a hero and all that. And, you know, and I know your are you know, but you know that as soon as Saul, call, you, your intention now may be to take good care of Franny, but you know that the next time Saul calls you and some mission comes to save the world, you know, you're going to do that. And you're going to leave Franny again, no matter what you say, think you're saying here. Yeah. That truth that she, the sister Carrie can then hear from her. She wouldn't have heard anything while she was sure that do- the sister was being this passive aggressive bitch. Which, <laughs> which, I, which I actually had to tell the actress. I said, "That's what you're admitting to," and and it's like because and then, and what I love too is in thinking of past episodes of the series. It's like there was always this funny tinge. I mean, Amy is a very sympathetic actor. And, you know, and, and there was always you, you, the audience always kind of got her point of view and she'd be angry at Carrie for abandoning Franny, but there was a little, you know, it it may help make sense of that in a different way. Like, but there's a little bit of sanctimoniousness there. There's a little bit of, you know, I'm enjoying that, yes. you know? And so it added to me, depth to the character, depth to the story. To me, that's depth when characters aren't just, oh, you're a saint.
0: Oh, you're taking care of You, you what you've outlined here is exactly what you started talking about which is that we create a narrative about ourselves and right. that's how we perceive the world right. and exactly. and if we are forced to a situation where we must break that or yes. we must confront what may be true yes. that that's yes. that's a visible kind of drama yes. that's a human experience that's something we all don't want to do it's a breakthrough and at the same time you've also kind of shown us here what a director does. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and it's invisible. It's
0: invisible. It is, it is invisible.
1: You know, the writers look and say, oh, you said, you said the words be said." Those are the right. words I wrote. I, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but what's interesting to me is we all interpret it. We all bring our own particular, and the director is fortunately in the, now often an actor will come to a transcendent, brilliant insight like that, that you never would have thought of. And great actors can do that. But what is often not acknowledged is the role directors can often very often do play in helping that actor get to the deeper truth of the character. You know, a great actor will, will, you know, brings tremendous skills to that on their own, but it's often as collaboration with the director. And in this case, it was, you know, I, I just totally changed how she thought of the character. And then, and it became more human. It became more actable and it became more real to me. It's like, when I get to the point of feeling that's true,
0: that's yeah. deep.
1: That's a level to me. That's the height of storytelling. That's the mm. that's the story. That's what moves me more than almost anything else in any story is the moment when a character has to confront finally something about themselves that they've been holding on to, like you just said, their story. Being able yeah. to confront it and see the falsehood of it or see the the failure of it. It's an and, apotheosis. And it's it, a- it, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's an epiphany. It's a moment of like oh, I see, giving up the ghost, and then grace comes in. That's when real transformation comes in, and then real authenticity comes in. To me, that's the height of it all, and that's what I'm always hoping for and searching for in my life. Not just in my life. (laughs) But that's just (laughs) a great story of like, it wasn't there
0: necessarily on the page. It was hidden behind the words. It had to be meaning, had to be made from it, and communicated, and... That's then,
1: the thing. And then the other thing I will just say, in a note of humility, not to take sole credit for this, is that I'm fascinated. I do, in the book, by the way, I hope people will read it. I have another chapter on the Americans, which has a very a similar kind of genesis to mm-hmm. a, whole, a whole rewrite without changing a word, because you're rewriting the subtext. Mm. But in both instances, what interests me is my own journey to discover this new meaning was sparked by particular words in the writing. that So that at some level, as I mentioned earlier, the writers were in touch with something. They weren't necessarily conscious of it. But this is what we all bring our interpreters. So it's a collaboration. Yeah, and, it's know, interpreting it's, a text. It's, yeah. it's the fun yeah. of
0: film theory yeah. or literature yeah. theory. I mean, I can that's always been more my interest as a human being and almost less than. But I can see how its directors become interpreters of media. Right
1: that that's our job, I think. It's like, and again, what story are you telling? So it's like, in this case, that's a good example. It's like, I shifted the focus from, I'm telling the story of Carrie giving up her daughter to I'm telling the story of two sisters finally reconnecting in a true and honest way.
0: Right, or of the other sister giving up her ego, the right. death of her ego.
1: Really. Right, right. Yeah. Be- and, and what's fascinating, I love about that, which the other thing is, you're going after, we're going after beauty. What's beautiful? There's something beautiful about yeah. it Because what's beautiful is, yeah, all the spiritual paths all say, yeah, you got to transcend the ego and all that. Yeah. But what, what assists that? Well, what assists that is love. Her love mm. for this little girl. It's uh, like she wasn't doing it for herself. She couldn't have done it probably for herself. Yeah. But she knew this little girl, Franny, was about to be squashed and prevented from realizing herself
0: because it's, it was a selfless you know. act. I mean, it's as good as, you know, it's yeah. that's, that's how you make folks. That's how you make something that happens in one room. That's just conversations between people as dramatic as a battlefield. Right. <laughs> like
1: Absolutely. it's, that's, that's the key. Absolutely. So my job is always just kind of trying to find those moments, digging deeper. So how, do, how could I care about, it? And, you know, the great, great shows give you so much more to work with, but it, you know, you're not just a traffic cop, as sometimes like people like to call series directors. You know, hacks, yeah. up, I guess. But you know, <laughs> I, I, have to take, I have to take total responsibility for what, and I'm mortified if what something I'm doing is going to be boring or I'm going to miss an opportunity. To it's literally birthing something, is what I feel. It's what's yeah. happening in me. I'm what can I? Because I have to discover it. I hadn't didn't know it right away. I was frustrated. I, I had wanted the writers. Oh, come on, give me give me a, more of a defense from. From Carrie, and yeah, you wanted a different script. I had, one, script so, into, I had yeah. one solution in mind, and they said no, not because they knew this particular view was there, but they, for whatever reasons, that that's was there, what they wanted to do, and uh, you know, so. that's where
0: also sometimes constraints and limits creatively create better content. You know, uh, create better stories. Most
1: story. times, I think you're guided yeah. by by having to accept something other than your plan or your idea. It's like, I, and I think it's, it results in deeper resources getting activated.
0: It's, it's why like, these, it's but like it's humbling,
1: also- right? You, you humble right. yourself and say, I don't know what could make it. I don't know. It's yeah. like being willing, being willing not to know doesn't just mean you've given up. It means you're acknowledging reality. And if you're open and have kind of a beginner's mind approach to things, you're open to deeper resources coming through.
0: Yeah. Well, we've gone way over, but this has been amazing. It's been really fun. Dissected. You gave us a preview to the book with (laughs) basically a chapter of the work in it, uh, dissecting what it is to direct television.
1: Can I say the title? It's called- Yes, please. We'll say it all
0: over the place, but yes.
1: Okay. It's called Directing Great Television Inside TV's New Golden Age. And I think it's not just for directors or writers or editors or people who work in the business. I think it's about fans of television, and I hope it, it touches on some interesting areas of the whole creative process and self definition
0: yeah it's a journey definitely um thank you so much again dan for making this happen Uh, i've appreciated and enjoyed it and have a good rest
1: of your day thanks a lot you too
0: Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Dan, for coming on the show. This one's been long in coming. We had it in the bank, and I just wanted to start the year off with it. I mean, I know the year's a couple of weeks old now, but, you know, it's an exciting one for me because Dan and I got to talk about so many of the sort of specific inside baseball aspects of directing that you don't know if you're not stepping onto a set like these ones he's been on that are like the biggest, most popular shows with massive stars and everybody like collecting Emmy nominations. And you're like, hey, I'm here to direct an episode, you know, let's go. So please be sure to check out that post on nofilmschool.com, a guide to TV directing or how to succeed as the least important person on set. Be sure to just check out all kinds of stuff on nofilmschool.com. We have a lot of exciting content, news, tech, and education. Subscribe, rate, And comment on the podcast and let us know what you think. We drop our weekly episodes where we round up everything happening in the world of filmmaking on Thursdays. So be sure to email us any of your questions or comments. We love hearing from you, good and or bad. Although the good thing is most of it's good. So that's at editor at nofilmschool.com. That's where you would email us stuff. And yeah, thanks so much for listening.